Well, good morning, Judson Church family. It is awesome uh, to be here this morning uh, with you worshiping. Just a great time of, of worship, and uh, you'll probably even understand a little bit more uh, as we're going through the passage that we do today, why some of the uh, songs were selected, uh, uh, that were selected about God's holiness and his, his glory. And uh, I'm excited. You guys have been in a series in the book of Luke uh, for, for some time now, and uh, we're going to be continuing in that today in chapter 9. And I know that there's lots of different ways uh, that uh, churches can uh, go through Scripture, and uh, all of them are, are, are really good. One of the things that I love about going through books of the Bible, I think there are a few advantages to doing that. Uh, and there's, there's three that really come to mind. The first one is that each week kind of builds upon it. So in comparison to just picking a random passage each week, uh, you're able to see kind of, um, you know, you learn something and then the next week it kind of builds upon that so you're not kind of starting over from scratch. Uh, the second thing is, is that when you go through the book of a Bible at, at a time, you're not just learning the information from that specific week, but you're also learning how to read and interpret and apply God's word. So after you go through a book, like going through the book of Luke, now you could easily you know, pick up the book of Matthew or um, Mark or John and go, oh, I, kind of, I, I see how the progression goes. I see how things are kind of done. So you're actually learning a process. But probably the most important thing or the biggest advantage of going through a book of the Bible at a time is that it forces you to cover things that you might not normally cover. So as a pastor, we kind of have our favorite passages. We have kind of our different areas of, you know, maybe passion or theology. And so when we're building out kind of a sermon calendar, it can be easy to kind of be going back to the same thing over and over again and you're maybe not skipping over things intentionally, but there's certain passages that you may go, well, oh, that's just, I don't know if that's going to make for a good sermon on Sunday. And I'd have to argue that what we're looking at today is one of those. It's the transfiguration. And it is a glorious passage. It's an important passage. There's so many good things, but as, as, as pastors, we often just kind of skip over it because there's not the typical, okay, here's the four things that you need to leave and, and do or don't do. Um, and yet, it's a pivotal point in the Gospel of Luke in which Jesus is revealing to his disciples who he really is. Now, I will warn you, there's some things that are a little bit weird. There's some theology in here that at times maybe gets a little bit complicated. So if you're like brand new to church, maybe this is your first time, um, come back next week. It'll probably make a lot more uh, sense to you. But my prayer is that no matter whether you're just brand new to kind of learning the Bible or if you've been sitting here forever and you know lots of different things, that there would be at least one thing that today that God would kind of show you that would help to just elevate how you understand who Jesus is and what's happening here in the transfiguration. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into God's word uh, together this morning. Heavenly Father, we do just praise you and thank you so much. Thank you for our time of worship in which we could really declare who you are, declare your holiness, declare your glory. God, we thank you so much for your word, and uh, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would give us special insight, that there would be something that we would learn, not just for the sake of learning some more facts, but it would help us to deepen our understanding and relationship with you. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, well, if you have your uh, Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 36. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to go back and we're going to break it up into kind of five different sections to make some observations on the transfiguration. It should be projected uh, as well, too. So Luke chapter 9, 28 through 36. About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they had become fully awake, they saw the glory of the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid and they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And after the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent. And at the time, they told no one of what they had seen. All right, so starting in verse 28, it says about eight days after this conversation, so I talked about it building. This is the conversation that you looked at last week as Pastor Jeff was talking about this conversation in which Jesus was asking the disciples, you know, who are people saying that I am? And they kind of answered, gave some of their answers, and then he said, but here's the real important question, who do you say that I am? And this is where, again, Peter has his moment and he says, you are the Christ, right? He identifies Jesus and says, you know, Jesus, you are the Messiah. So this is really important because we're seeing how this is building towards Jesus continuing to reveal who he was to the disciples and to those people that were beginning to follow him. In verse 28, the observation that I want to make is that the transfiguration exemplifies Jesus' oneness with the Father. Now, in this first point, uh, it's not the main point of the whole section. So I'm going to tell you that, and because some of you that are, you know, kind of Bible scholars, you're going to say, okay, well, that's not really the main point, but I, I still believe that it's really relevant here. And that is, is that Jesus is once again Uh, retreating with some of his disciples to go and to pray. Again, this is another thing that was mentioned last week as Pastor Jeff was going through the passage that Jesus was constantly retreating and praying. Now, the connection, though, that I want you to make is here has more to do, though, with um, maybe the, the content of his prayer or why he's even retreating to pray. See, when we think of prayer... Most often, we reduce it to simply um, prayers of petition. So this is within the church, and then even people that you know, don't go to church at all, don't consider themselves 
you know, followers of Christ, they know that like prayer is like, oh, you go to God and you kind of ask for something. Uh, so much so that actually there's a country artist that just released a song. And uh, my disclaimer here is I'm not trying to say that this country artist, you know, I, I'm not making any declaration of, of their faith or that you should go and, and buy their music or anything like that. But I was listening to the words and I thought he has completely captured how most people think of prayer. And you, maybe you've heard this song. It's uh, the country artist's name is Jelly Roll. Um, and... Uh, but, but listen, listen to the words. He says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who am I to expect a savior if I only talk to God when I need a favor? But God, I need a favor. Okay, so again, all, all he's doing is he's recognizing. He's not even saying, oh yeah, I'm this great Christian. He's really just saying, man, why is it that I'm just really going to God? Prayer for me is just when I need something from God, can I really even expect something? So again, that's often how we reduce prayer to. But that wouldn't make a lot of sense. We know who Jesus is. Jesus isn't going to God the Father to like ask for something or to request something. But to me, what this is reflecting is the oneness. It's actually speaking to the triune nature of God. See, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed in perfect relationship. And one of the keys that we all know to relationship is simply communication. It's not always just requesting something. I mean, think of that. If you're married and that your communication was your, with your spouse was only requests, like, hey, I need this, and you know, go fill up the car with gas and go do this. I mean, that wouldn't be a relationship at all. But instead, here what Jesus is exemplifying is the oneness that he has with the Father. Okay, so keep that in mind. We have kind of the, the Trinity that's kind of beginning to, to just show here just by Jesus going and constantly retreating to spend time with, um, to spend time with God the Father. And this is what happens. Uh, verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. So here now we do have the main thing happening. This is called the transfiguration. So our observation, verse 29, the transfiguration highlights the divinity and the glory of Jesus. Okay, it highlights the divinity and the glory of Jesus. This is the main thing in which uh, uh, Jesus is trying to show and that is recorded for us in the book of Luke of, uh, for even, you know, for the disciples to experience this, for Peter, James, and John to experience this. Remember what I said is each week was kind of building. If you've noticed as you've gone through Luke, Jesus didn't just show up on the scene and said, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm the son of God, I'm, you know, I'm the Messiah, uh, all these things. No, instead what happens is he's incrementally displaying who he is. The disciples are slowly catching on, as we saw last week. So they knew from Peter, and Jesus affirmed it, yes, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that was, you know, that, you, that you've been waiting for. But to now turn it up a few notches, we have this glorious display where it is, 
you know, um, undeniable that there is something completely supernatural and otherworldly happening. Jesus' clothes change, his face changes, and the description here is that it is this dazzling white. Where if you go to the other gospel writers, they have different ways to explain it. So with Luke, some translations talk about it as this like flash of lightning. That's the type of this dazzling white, this bright white that's like lightning. Um, Matthew uh, describes uh, Jesus' face as the brightness of the sun. So that's how bright it is. Uh, Now this one I had to laugh at a little bit. If you read Mark, uh, he describes the transfiguration this way and he says, and Jesus' clothes were so white, like whiter than you could bleach them. (laughs) Oh, okay, Mark, thanks for the beautiful description. You know, it's like you've got lightning and sun and then bleach. Okay, that was my only joke for today. So for those of you that didn't laugh, um, you know, that's it. Um, But here's why this is important is that Uh, This brightness describes the glory of God, Old Testament, Genesis, all the way through to Revelation. Okay, we have this when Moses, of course, he goes up on the mountain and the glory of God is so bright that he comes down for the mountain and for weeks his face is just so bright because it's reflecting the very glory of God. In the book of Revelation, it says, uh, Revelation 21, 23 says, the city does not need a sun or a moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. In other words, Jesus, there's in, in uh, uh, the, the new city, there is no need for a sun because Jesus is so bright. And also in Revelation 1.16, it says that his, Jesus' face was like uh, the sun shining in full strength. So all of this, basically is happening, this transfiguration, this metamorphosis, this Jesus changing and uh, you know, turning his face bright as the sun or as a flash of lightning to show the disciples that he's not even just the Messiah, the, the, the one that was you know, prophesied about, but that he was the very embodiment of God, that he was God in the flesh. Fully human and yet fully divine. Okay, so this continues to, uh, continues to go on. Verse 30, it says, suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Okay, so our observation number three here is that the transfiguration affirms the continuity and the fulfillment of God's plan. Okay, there's a a specific reason that the two that are standing next to Jesus are Moses and Elijah. I mean, right, we could have taken different characters, you know, from, you know, scripture. It could have even been other, you know, people as of late. It could have been, you know, um, you know, Samson. It could have been King David. But why Moses and Elijah? Okay, very uh, important here, very specific here, is that Moses, as he's talked about in Scripture, always represents the law, right? Because he's the author of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And Elijah is a representative, not just you know, of, of um, you know, his specific stuff, but of the prophets as a whole. 
So you have next to Jesus the law and the prophets, which anyone during Jesus' time knew encompass the entire Old Testament. Okay, the reason why this is so important is that for the disciples and for us as we're reading this is to see the continuity that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has done in the past. It is not a change. It's not a plan B. Okay, you have, you have basically, um, you know, God from the very uh, beginning um, sharing that this would be the case, that Jesus would be an answer uh, to these things. Uh, we also um, get here, which I just, I, I love this part of it, is that it actually gives us a here what they were discussing. So you don't actually get that in the other gospel accounts, but in, the, in Luke's gospel account, it says that they were talking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. In other words, they were discussing the gospel message. They were discussing that Jesus would be um, intentionally going to the cross. So again, this goes back to this whole fulfillment and continuity. In the Old Testament, uh, as you know, God was making his covenant with the people of Israel, he said, I'm gonna bless those who bless you and I'm gonna curse those who curse you. But all the peoples, all the nations will be blessed through you. See, God had a special relationship with the people of Israel, but it was a part of his bigger plan that from the people of Israel would come the Messiah, would come Jesus with now the intentionality that Jesus would go to the cross and die for the forgiveness of sins of all people. Again, this is so important because there's times where we're like, oh, we don't really need the Old Testament. We just need the New Testament. But you see how all of these different things are connected. Or some people would be like, well, Jesus died on the cross. Like, man, that was really just an unfortunate situation. It wasn't an unfortunate situation. It was God's plan tracing all the way back to the very beginning and to the book of, uh, to the book of, of Genesis. And so Moses and Elijah... They're standing next to Jesus. They're talking about the gospel message. They're talking about Jesus gonna be going to Jerusalem, gonna be you know, um, hung on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. And, and as this is happening, um, you know, we learn now in verse 32 that uh, Peter, James, and John, they're in some sort of sleep and they're kind of coming to, kind of watching the stuff that's happening. And it says, Peter and those who were with him were in a deep sleep and when they became fully awake... They saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. All right, so your observation for our uh, fourth one here is that the transfiguration acknowledges the mystery and the wonder of Jesus. A couple things before I um, dive into this part of it. Um, and this is my own, just so you understand what a pastor goes through as they're kind of like looking at, at the passages or just maybe me uh, in particular. Um, if you remember, um, Moses never was allowed to go into the promised land. 
Have you ever thought of that before? And then all of a sudden he shows up here at the transfiguration. I wonder if Moses was like, like kind of like looking around, like I finally made it guys. Like I, I, this is great. Like I can't believe, no. Again, all sorts of metaphysics and things to get into. I don't know how all that works, but part of me was like, wow, that's really amazing that Moses, who wasn't allowed to actually go into the promised land, but was you know just in the wandering, all of a sudden he shows up there. Okay, all that aside, um, now we have this moment with Peter. Um, how many of you have heard a sermon? I'm actually going to ask for a raise of hands here. Have heard a sermon on the transfiguration before? Okay, so actually a good amount of people, actually more than I thought. So um, my second question is, is when you've heard a sermon on the transfiguration, how many of you have heard that the pastor kind of basically um, just kind of makes fun of Peter here for being just, you know, a complete buffoon in what he says. So, good, good number. Okay, kind of make fun of him. It's kind of funny. Well, I told you I only had one joke, so I can't make fun of him. Um, uh, but in all reality, as I looked at this passage this week, um, I... Uh, think that even though that makes for a good sermon, and it does say here that Peter was not, didn't know completely what he was saying, that his suggestion here to make tents or to make shelters uh, for Jesus and Moses and Elijah was not all that wrong. It wasn't just complete craziness that he was suggesting to make these shelters. Again, he didn't get it right, he, wasn't, he didn't completely understand everything that was going on, but he wasn't really that wrong. But it's important, the only way that we can really understand that is if we take into account the cultural context of what he was more than likely referring to. See, in the Old Testament, God had commanded the, uh, the, the people of Israel to observe a festival called the Festival of Booths, or Festival of Tents, or Sukkot, which is just Hebrew, uh, which means tents or shelters. And this was a really great festival. It was one that happened during the harvest time. And uh, what, the, what the people of, of, of Israel would do is they would build these temporary shelters for a week. So think of it kind of like building forts for a week that you would kind of live in You'd kind of be removed from maybe even some of, at the time, whatever was considered modern day amenities. And what it did is it highlighted your dependence on God and even reminded you of the very presence of God. This was an important observant festival. The presence of God, the dependence upon God, and maybe as Peter's kind of coming to, he's reminded and he is knowing that he is experiencing a very holy moment as the very glory of God is being shown. And so for him, the first thing that comes to mind is this festival in which it honored the dependence of God and the very presence of God. And so he's just making a suggestion. Hey, before you guys leave, this is good. Let's keep this going. Let's kind of let this go for a week. Um, I, I still remember the first time that I um, experienced Sukkot. So to kind of give you a little, kind of paint a picture in, in a background, when I was a pastor in Milwaukee, 
um, our family, we, we actually lived in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood uh, because according to uh, their um, oral tradition, you had to be within walking distance of the synagogue. So we were next to a synagogue. So, you know, a quarter to a third of even the people that lived on our street were Orthodox Jewish people. At times, it felt like we lived in Israel. So, I mean, you need to think of this. I mean, we're talking full observant, full, you know, wearing, you know, the suits and the beards and, you know, the everything, okay? Um, even, even to the point in the winter where we would have kids come up to us and they would say, hey, it's Shabbat. Uh, we can't turn up our thermostat. Can you come in there and turn up our thermostat? Because they had regulations and restrictions that they couldn't change the thermostat on Shabbat. So anyways, every year that Sukkot would come around, um, I'd be driving down our street and I'm trying to look into the backyard you know, of, as they're building their temporary shelters. I mean, it's basically like a little kid's dream. I mean, it's all these like forts that people are building in their backyard. And one day I was walking my dog and I was kind of like leaning like this. And one of the Jewish men, he said, do you want to come and experience this, um, you know, experience my sukkah with me? I thought, this is awesome. He said, come on, come on tomorrow. So I was, I was literally spiritually preparing myself. I, you know, this could be like a moment and presence of God and all of those things. And so we walk into his backyard and his, his family's in there. So I, you know, I kind of duck in and I, I go in, go into their sukkah and, and their mounted was about a 55 inch LED, you know, screen with the Packer game on. And so I'm like, oh my goodness. And there's a couple of things that ran through my mind. One is, see, because in Wisconsin, you worship Jesus, but you also worship the Packers. It's a, just, it's a messy thing. I don't want to get into explaining all of it. But I was like, oh, well, maybe the Jewish people are just doing the same thing in their worship of the Packers. But anyways, all of that to say that this festival was all about the presence of God, the dependence on God. And that's what I believe that um, Peter was offering up, and it just acknowledges the mystery and wonder of Jesus, that even in this moment, Peter didn't get it completely right. He didn't understand everything. He just knew that it was a holy moment. All right, our last one here, verse 34. While he was saying this, and notice uh, Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter. He doesn't correct him. It's just that there's a transition that happens. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one, listen to him. Okay, so our final observation is that transfiguration declares the sonship of Jesus and the response required. So Peter has his moment, he says his thing, the cloud comes, which again, what does the cloud represent in the Old Testament? The same thing happened with Moses. It was the presence of God, that God was there. The, the cloud is what directed the people of Israel as they were wandering around. It says that there was fear that overcame them. I believe that this was not like they were scared for their lives type of thing, but just this reverence again of this holy moment. Because then there is a voice that comes from heaven which doesn't happen often, even if you were to search through the New Testament, the audible voice of God for others to be able to hear it is really only a really small amount of times, including the baptism of Jesus, in which a similar thing is said. This is my son in whom I love. So this sonship 
of Jesus is declared that they audibly hear. But there's this final part of the message, and this is maybe our takeaway from it, and that is listen to him. This is Jesus. This is the son of God. Listen to him. Here's why this is so important. I think that even all of us experience at times where it's like uh, someone gives you a book or you give someone else a book. You're like, hey, read, read this book. This is really good. I don't agree with everything in it, but you have some good stuff. Or, oh man, I can't wait to see this speaker. They're a really good speaker. I don't agree with them on this, that, the other thing, but they're still really good. Kind of pick and choose a little bit. Um, Not in this situation. When Jesus is declared as the son, God the Father is saying, listen to him, everything, every part of it. It's not like, oh, Jesus has some good stuff here, but I don't really like that and that. Absolutely every part of it. That's why even when we're singing holy, 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 we're saying you're you're righteous, you are perfect. What you have said to us, what you have given to us in your word is holy, it is righteous, and it is perfect. So we must listen to him. So that's just my final takeaway for you. Maybe there's even been something in your life where you know that God's kind of nudging you and maybe showing you through his scripture and you're like, oh man, but that's just really hard to swallow. Do I need to, do I need to follow that? Do I need to obey that? Do I need to listen to God in this um, instance? And uh, the answer to that is yes. And so be encouraged this week um, as you ponder the, the glory of God as you, as you ponder the glory of Jesus as he revealed himself, and um, if there's something that God is just kind of prompting you to do, then I would say listen and obey. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that even as we read your word and sometimes there's obscure things that are happening, that we would just see your greater goodness and your glory, that you are faithful and true and trustworthy. May that just spur us on to a greater relationship with you. You have so clearly revealed yourself to us. And Lord, I do pray that if there is anyone in this room or that's listening online, watching online, that if they don't have a relationship with you and they've even been just kind of asking and questioning like the disciples and trying to figure out who you are, that you would even just use this moment and this part of scripture and the transfiguration that they would understand you weren't just a good teacher, you weren't just a healer, you weren't just a a good speaker and miracle worker, but you were the son of God. And Lord, that if they would recognize that they are a sinner that is separated from you, that they would also understand God, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, that their relationship might be restored with you, that in their own words, that they would just say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I surrender my life to you. Come into my life, make me new, make me whole. God, that your Holy Spirit would dwell inside of them. And God, for the rest of us, that we would just continue on in our day and in our week, basking in your glory and your goodness and in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.